The reading is taken from Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23, and can be followed on page 2 of the New Testament section of the Pew Bible. The Escape to Egypt. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. The Massacre of Infants When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. The return from Egypt. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in the town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jeff. Shall we pray? O Lord of our lives, help us now And every day that comes to trust you unreservedly and reassure us now by the power of your word and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. I wonder how many times you and I were wished uh, a happy Christmas, uh, born wet. Uh, before the 25th or in the run-up to the 25th of December. Lots and lots of times, don't you? Lots of people are coming along and saying, Happy Christmas. I often wonder, too, what folk have in mind when they actually say to us, Happy Christmas. What, what are they really thinking it ought to be? Or are they just using the phrase, as it were, as it comes to mind? Well, shall I follow that up with saying... Have you had a happy Christmas? Are you still having a happy Christmas? Yeah, there we are. 
come on, I'm not going to ask you to answer the question, but how would you sum up why it has been happy? How would you express uh, to other people why Christmas has been happy for you? Or why you felt happy? What has contributed to making it happy? Interesting, isn't it? I wonder if we ever stop to, to think that through and to work it out. You see, if we've actually been celebrating Christmas for the right reason, then I think we've had a happy Christmas. Far more than that. We've had what I would call a joyful Christmas. And you know, we ought to be going on to have joyful days, to be living joyful lives today, tomorrow, and throughout 2020, for the rest of our lives, if we've really fully appreciated all that Christmas was about. You know, we should be rejoicing day by day in the Lord Jesus. We are people of joy. Do you know, on Christmas morning at the parish church, uh, there's a French family uh, joined us for worship. And at the end of the service, I went to have a chat with them. And they said to me that they had never, ever experienced such joy. I quote for them. They said, Nous n'avons jamais vu ni connu telle joie dans une messe ou dans la vie des fidèles. We have never seen or known such joy in a service or in the life of the worshippers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a witness. What a witness. Oh, may we, all of us, show the world that we are people of joy and not hold back from telling them why. You know, I watched your faces when we were singing joy to the world. Not long ago, on Songs of Praise, when they were judging the, uh, the, the various competitions, one of the judges said, one thing that really inspired me was that your faces were revealing the words that you were speaking or singing. What a difference it makes. And I wonder if we are, in fact, revealing to the world the joy that is ours because of who we are and for all that Jesus has done in our lives. I'm going to move on from there. Because, you know, I believe that Mary and Joseph were people of joy when Jesus was born. It must have been an exciting time for them. With the angels, just imagine it. The angels, the heavenly chorus, the shepherds, a special star in the sky, the fulfillment of prophecy, and then the visit of the wise men. One thing after the other. And the one who was born to be king and saviour, had come. And God's plan to put things right in the world was underway. Oh, 
there was so much to look forward to. And yet, as we know, and as Matthew reminds us this morning in that reading, that it was not to be easy going. And that Jesus was going to encounter opposition, not just then, but forever and ever. See, even as we were reminded there this morning, Herod was angry, and the tyrant's rage knew no bounds. His kingship was threatened uh, by the birth of the Son of God, and his opposition to Jesus was so deeply rooted that he went to horrendous lengths to eliminate all trace of Jesus. It's all, all boys under the age of, twelve, of two in Bethlehem were to be killed. I often wonder why God in his omnipotence didn't eliminate Herod. It'd be much easier, wouldn't it? He didn't. Instead, he ensured the safety and the protection of Mary and Joseph and Jesus as they fled to Egypt, the country that had long been a refuge for the Jews. We know from records that at this time, the Jewish colony in Alexandria numbered well over one million. But there was danger for Jesus, and danger loomed large indeed. But God was in control. And he pointed that little family in the right direction. Well, there they lived as refugees, lying low until it was time to return. But even when they got back to their own country, God sent them to live in that obscure province of Galilee, in the town of Nazareth. You see, things weren't going quite as one might have expected. It was tough. Should we pause there for a moment? see something of yourself in, in that account? Do we see something of ourselves, whoever we are? <coughs> something that's been true perhaps for us at some stage in, in our life? Surely we can all recall a difficult time, a time, uh, perhaps a, a number of difficult times when we've experienced some sort of crisis. I don't know what you would call a crisis, but you know... For some, it might be a car accident, a broken relationship, a loss of a job, a painful financial period, illness, death of a loved one. Those are the more obvious crises that come our way. There are many others. Just think of what St. Paul listed when he wrote to the church in Corinth told them how he'd been flogged and beaten, cold and naked, shipwrecked, thirsty, without food, put in prison, one thing after the other. And you know, we have in all of that, we have in our own lives a reminder that the Christian life was never meant to be pain-free. There are always going to be moments when we have a tough time, when it's hard going. And moreover, we live in a dangerous world. There's terrorism, there's drug abuse, there's alcohol abuse, there's paedophilia, there's mugging, there's knife crime, there's murder. Go on. And Christians are just as likely as anybody else to come face to face 
with these troubles and temptations. No, the Christian life was never meant to be pain-free. And you know, those who preach a health and wealth gospel, you know what I mean? All will be a bed of roses when you turn to Christ. They preach a lie. God's word is realistic and tells us that we'll never be like that. But that Jesus came. He came to be with us, to share with our pain and in our difficulties and in our crises. You see, God didn't remove the danger that Jesus was in. He didn't magic it away. He won't magic away our difficulties. We live with the uncomfortable fact that the world and humankind, although good and wonderful in so many ways, all of it is far from perfect. God wants us to know that he is in the world and he is with us and that he feels the pain and he wants to support us through it. And he, but he wants to keep us trusting in him. You know, whether we find ourselves in danger or fear, in pain or in trouble, we can trust him as we rest in him and in his promises. You see, God is ultimately in control. And just as he guided Mary and Joseph, he will guide us. He may not direct us in exactly the way we expect or would like. He may also only take us one step at a time. Because he always wants to teach us to remain dependent on him day by day. You know, later in the service, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. What's one of those phrases? You know, we pray for our daily bread. We don't pray for our annual loaf. God wants us to trust him day by day and not to move away, as it were. And it's by only by giving us enough light for the next step. It means that we don't go far from his presence. It was R.T. Kendall who said, God never leads us from A to Z, but always from A to B and then from B to C, so that we keep on looking to him and trusting him. But, you know, Jesus met with opposition over and over again. And I often wonder about us as a Christian community and our mission to share the love of Christ and to make him known. I would suggest that we meet with very little opposition. More so with what I call sheer indifference. In many parts of the world, you know, Christians face daily opposition. Maybe one day we shall encounter uh, a little more aggression. But whatever, let's recognise the enormous encouragement in, that morning, in this morning's reading. You see, from the very beginning, there was every possibility of quenching the Messiah. His mother Mary could well have been stoned as an adulteress. He might have been killed by Herod. He might have been lost in Egypt. Could go on, no. But no, God's hand was upon him. And opposition could not extinguish God's light. And however frail or exposed the church may be, whatever storms or waves that break over it, 
the work and mission of God will continue. And as a church and as individual disciples here who follow Christ, the Great Commission is ours. And we are assured that the gates of hell will never overcome the church of Jesus Christ. And we are the church. The church which he is building as his kingdom grows and he's building it and using us. Don't forget. And you know, our call as we enter a new year, indeed, as it always is, is to remember the good news of Christmas and to live our lives in the knowledge that Emmanuel, God, is with us. And that we keep on trusting him to show us the way forward because we are in the safety and the security of his flock. Don't forget, we are people of joy. Let the world see that. Francis Havergal that great hymn writer, in many respects, sums up our call to unquestioning trust. In a moment, we're going to sing number 202. I don't know if you'd like to turn to it now. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus. Perhaps you'd like to read it through before we sing it. Would you like to make it, each verse, your prayer, as it were, of commitment to trust God unreservedly as we move forward from here into our future, into every new day and into the new year? I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus. We'll sing it in a moment. <laughs>